let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Rev. Richard C. Whitcomb. On December 7, 1988, a terrible earthquake struck the nation of Armenia. Within minutes, over 60,000 people had died and half a million buildings were destroyed. One father survived the earthquake, and his first thought was of his son, Arman. His son had gone to school that morning, and the father had to know if he was all right. So he jumped up from where he was, ran past wounded and dying people, jumped over broken glass, sidestepped broken concrete, and ran to the school building where Arman had gone. But when he saw the school, his heart sank, for the building was completely demolished. In the natural, it seemed as if there was no way someone could have survived that destruction. He wanted to turn and give up, but then he remembered a promise he'd made to his son. He told Armand, Armand, I will never leave you. I will always be there for you. And so even though it looked hopeless, uh, he went to work to try to find his son. He remembered that Armand's classroom was in the back right of the building. So he went there and began pulling off bricks and concrete, hoping to find Armand. Others came and said, don't do it. There's no hope. They're all dead. A policeman and a firefighter tried to remove him, but he would not give up. He worked, pulling the rubble with his bare hands. An hour, two hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 32 hours. After fighting through the rubble for 38 hours, suddenly he heard voices. He shouted, Armand, Armand. And a voice came back, Daddy, Daddy, I'm here. It was a miracle in the middle of Armenia. A father and son had faith, and their faith was not disappointed. God had done a miracle for them. But the good news was that miraculously a section of the building had collapsed in such a way that not only was Armand saved, but there were 14 other children with him. What gave them the courage to wait for 38 hours without food or water? It was the assurance of Armand. I told the other kids not to worry, Armand said. I told them that if my father was alive, he'd save me. And when he saved me, he would save them too. My dad promised that. A little boy named Armand, trapped under the rubble with no reason in the natural to hope, held out faith in his father's promise, and he encouraged others to keep the faith as well. And because Armand had faith, he spread that faith to others, and they were rescued also. Today, our world is trapped under a rubble of sin and shame. We're living in a dungeon of despair, controlled by demonic powers. God has come to us, though, and given us a reason to hope. Our Father has given us a promise that He will not leave us in the darkness. He will not lead us in the rubble. He will not leave us in the place of despair. He's promised to lift us and give us eternal life. And when our faith in the Father comes strong in our hearts, it will spread to others. We will share the good news with them and they too will discover the promise of God's delivering power. We will experience revival and we will change our world. That's the message in our sermon today. We're going to discover the three promises of revival. But before we learn more, let's bow our heads and pray. Almighty Father, we thank you that through thick and thin, we can count on your promise, for you never fail. And no matter what 
happens around us, we know you are here to lift us and rescue us. Renew our faith. Revive our hope today in you. And help us to be so confident in your promise that we share that news with others around us. Give us the courage, Lord, to sing a song of praise in the dungeon to change our world. We submit to you now. We bind every voice of the enemy that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of light and life to bring love, hope, and revival to our hearts. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. I want to encourage you and invite you to join your faith with mine today. Put your hand on your chest and pray after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Manifest your glory in me. In Jesus' name, Amen and amen. Welcome to Agape House New Testament Church. It's great to have you here on this beautiful Sunday. Today we're celebrating Pentecost Sunday, for this is the day over 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples in the upper room. It came with a mighty, powerful wind, and flames of fire sat upon their heads. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues and gave birth to the New Testament Church. But it wasn't just in the upper room. It was in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth they took the gospel and we are the products of that revival. We are the recipients of that great move of the Holy Spirit. You and I are here today at Agape House New Testament Church carrying on the tradition of what God has done. That's why for the last few weeks we've been in a sermon series called If My People. We're looking at revival because I believe that God God's power is at work in us today. I believe that God is bringing a new Pentecost. He's filling us, his people, with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can go preach Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. And the good news is revival can come to anyone at any time. It begins when we reorder our priorities and put God first. For when we seek him first, he promises to give us everything we need. And that leads us to take practical steps to revival. We begin to identify with Christ. We can humble ourselves and seek his face and God begins to move in greater ways through us as we intercede. He transforms us and we walk in integrity. But here's what we need to understand today. Revival is never just a personal situation between you and God. True revival always results in a new zeal to go and reach others. True revival wants to bring hope to the hopeless. True revival Revival is transformed internally and makes changes externally. True revival moves us to commit ourselves to bring powerful results to the world. That's what we're going to discover this morning in our sermon, The Promise of Revival. We're going to be looking at a story found in Acts chapter 16. The text is there on the top of your sermon notes, so go ahead and take out your notes now and follow along with me as we discover the truth about the promise of revival. Now, the story we're going to look at is a very familiar passage. It's the story of when Paul and Silas went under the power of the Holy Ghost to the city of Philippi and they began preaching. 
God began to spark revival. Souls were being saved. People were being healed and delivered. But with the revival came opposition. And that's where our story begins. Now receive the word of the Lord. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Somebody shout, we are all here. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I don't know about you, but I love this story. It's one of those stories that makes me amazed because when you think about it, here is the Apostle Paul and Silas. They've been stripped. They've been beaten. They've been put in shackles in the innermost prison and yet they're able to pray and to rejoice. They kept faith alive. They kept bringing, they kept singing. They kept bringing themselves to God and trusting him and in their example, we learn three truths about the promise of revival. So here's your first truth today. Now, Everybody say now. Now is the right time for revival. Listen to how our text begins. After they'd been severely flogged, wow, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Then verse 25 says it was about midnight. So here are these two men of God. They have been beaten publicly. Their backs are bruised and bleeding. Then they're shackled in their feet and put in the innermost dungeon. There was no place deeper in the dungeon. There was no place darker than prison at midnight. There could be no place more discouraging, more depressing, more hopeless than where Paul and Silas found themselves. Yet in the worst of circumstances, they begin to pray and sing praises to God. And in their example, we learn our first valuable lesson. Revival is not dependent on what you see. Revival is not dependent dependent upon the circumstances around you. Revival is dependent upon who God is and what God has promised. That's the lesson that Ezra learned. He writes in the Old Testament in Ezra 9.9, we were slaves, but God in his unfailing love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. Instead, he caused the kings of Persia to treat us favorably. He revived us so we could rebuild the temple of our God and repair its ruins and understand through the example of Paul and through the testimony of Ezra that revival is not based on your circumstances no matter how dark it is no matter how bleak it is Ezra was a slave, Paul was in chains but God's supernatural power supersedes every circumstance and brings us hope and brings us life and brings us light and our faith in revival is faith based on who God is and what God is promise. If you believe it, say amen. You see, no matter how bleak or barren
when the landscape appears, uh, God's promises never fail. No matter how dark the world becomes, uh, now is the time for revival because God's promises are sure. That's why David said in Psalm 119, remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. That's why it's always the right time for revival. We expect revival because of who God is and what God has promised. We don't base our faith in revival on the positive signs around us. Our faith is in the promises of God. For we serve a God who never fails. We serve a God whose yes is yes and no is no. We serve a God who the Bible says in Hebrews is the same yesterday and today and forever. Somebody say amen. And the sovereignty of God is still the same today today as it has always been and we can trust in him because he holds the future in his hand and because God is sovereign we know that no opposition no darkness no dungeon can keep back his spirit from moving in our lives we can rejoice in hope because our God is greater than the world greater than the darkness greater than political oppression greater than economic uncertainty greater than anything in this universe our God is able to turn tragedy into triumph. That's the lesson we can learn from the amazing true story of a woman from Burundi named Maggie Berenkitse. Way back in 1993, October, a violent conflict broke out in Burundi between their two major ethnic groups, the Tutsis and the Hutus. Maggie and her seven children fled to the home of the Archbishop of Ryugi for safety along with another large group of women and children. But while they were there in the home of the Archbishop, Tutsi rebels broke in and began to slaughter women and children. They killed 72 Hutus. They cut off the head of Maggie's best friend and threw the severed head into her lap. Maggie paid a ransom to save her life and the lives of her seven children, and she was able to pay a ransom for another 25 children as well. But with most of her resources gone and so many children to care of, Maggie had to depend on God to survive. The situation was bleak and it looked hopeless. But God is sovereign. And no matter how dark the night, his light shines brighter. No matter how evil the world becomes, God's love is stronger. So Maggie started an orphanage called the House of Peace. Soon she had 200 children to feed, clothe, educate, and care for. But the greater the need, the greater God's supply. Maggie started with one house, but eventually ended up with a compound with over 300 houses. The ministry kept growing and included schools, farms, a hospital, and even a bank. For 26 years, the House of Peace provided safe, loving care for over 20,000 children in Burundi. Today, Maggie Barankitsi continues her work of rescuing the poor and vulnerable. She's overcome the trauma of her past. She's been seeing God bring restoration to the lives of others, bringing hope out of ashes. So what can you and I learn from Maggie Berenkitze's inspiring story? Simply this, God can turn even the darkest tragedy into triumph. That's why I believe this is the right time for revival. Our world looks dark. Here in Africa, we face uncertain economic times. In Ghana, we don't know where our next meals will come from. 
in Europe and in Eastern Africa, there are wars right now taking countless lives. America and Canada have lost their mind, confused about their gender and turning from the truth. The world seems bleak indeed, yet we must not despair. We must not lose hope, for the fact is these desperate times can also pave the way for hearts that are desperate for answers. That's what the Apostle Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians 1. Listen to his testimony. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, because of the trial, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. We've placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. In other words, terrible trials uh, taught Paul total trust in God. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you. Great hope grows out of great hardship. Difficult days are fertile ground for revival. That's why we have faith today that God is going to move in our nation. That's why we believe God is going to move in this generation. It may not be pleasant to hear and it may not be hopeful to us in the natural, but in the supernatural, we should not fear the temporary difficulties that will arise and give birth to revival. For when we possess an eternal perspective, our prayer will be, Lord, do whatever it takes to open the eyes of the lost. Lord, do whatever it takes to turn our hearts from the earthly to the eternal. We pray for peace and we pray for protection. We pray that we can live productive lives and prosper and make progress. But all of those things can pose a danger to us in our society. For when we become so enamored of prosperity and peace and protection and progress that we turn our hearts from God, they stop becoming a blessing and start becoming a problem. If the things turn our hearts away from Jesus and then we need to pray God bring about the circumstances that will bring revival and turn our hearts to you. May God birth in us a passion that motivates us to pray for God to do whatever it takes to bring Ghana to Jesus. May God give us circumstances that move us from complacency to commitment. May God give us surroundings that help us shift our focus from the earthly to the eternal. That's what we can learn from an American man named Jack Brewer. Jack Brewer used to be a professional American footballer. He was good at what he did, and he had success in his career. After he retired from American football, he became a successful businessman and ran a financial company. He had a life that many in the world would envy. He had fame and fortune and plenty of worldly pleasure. Jack Brewer had been raised in a Christian home as a child, but he turned his back on God. He was seeking things of this earth. But then, in 2017, Jack Brewer was diagnosed with throat cancer. And suddenly, Jack started viewing his life from a new perspective. All the things of this world begin to fade in importance when he faced the possibility of a death sentence from cancer. Listen to his testimony. One day I woke up and I realized you can't really live a life if you're not communicating with God. 
I started taking that feeling of being broken, and I started fasting and praying for the first time, Jack says. The Holy Spirit took over me and my family, and I'm on a journey now, and I will never turn back. When faced with the vulnerability of this life, Jack turned his focus to the eternal. When the things of the world faded from view, faith took over. And you see, when our eyes are fixed on the eternal, our faith becomes strong. When we loosen the hold of the earthly, we grasp what really matters. That's what happened to Paul and Silas. They could pray and rejoice in prison because they weren't looking at the shackles. They were looking at their Savior. They didn't look at the difficulty. They looked at their deliverance. And that's why this is the right time to proclaim Jesus Christ. This is the right time to pray for a Revival. People in the world are lost. They're confused. They're troubled. They're depressed. They're hopeless. Yet I have hope for Ghana today. I have hope for Africa today. I have hope for our generation. For our culture is not beyond the reach of the gospel. Our nation is not beyond the reach of revival. Our world and this generation is not beyond the scope of God's ability to move in power. For Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Turn your notes over to page two and understand what Jesus is proclaiming today. He said there is no nation, no culture, no people, no generation that is beyond my reach. This is the time for revival because God declares his kingdom is coming and he's coming to bring deliverance and salvation and healing and power to the world. If you believe it, say amen. And that brings us to the second truth about the promise of revival. Jesus is the reason for revival. Listen again to verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So first, they knew that even in the dungeon, it was the right time for revival. But secondly, they knew that Jesus was the real reason for revival. They did not place their hope in their events. They weren't placing their hope in a judge who would release them. They were trusting in the only true hope, Jesus Christ. For my Bible says in Matthew 12, 20, his name will be the hope of all the world. And I'm here to declare to you today, there is only one hope for mankind. There is only one hope for this generation. And his name is Jesus. There's no hope without him. That's why Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2.12, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Because when you don't know God and you don't know his promise, you're chasing the things that don't matter and don't last. And there is no true hope. Everything you see, everything you feel, everything you touch, everything you're chasing will end up in futility. One day, it will be gone. That's the lesson we can learn from an American man named Abraham Shakespeare. In 2006, Abraham Shakespeare was working as a truck driver's assistant. He wasn't educated and lived a poor life, but he struck it rich when he won a 30 million U.S. dollar lotto jackpot. Hey, Abraham thought his problems were over and he would live in luxury the rest of his life. 
But within three years, in 2009, every Pessoa of his fortune was gone. And Abraham Shakespeare was dead. A woman named D.D. Moore duped him out of more than $1 million. Then she shot him, killed him, and buried him in the dirt in a compound she had purchased with his stolen money. And that's how life is. The devil will rob you and then bury you under the rubble of your past. So Job 8.13 says, such is the hopeless future of all who turn from God. That's why we're not just preaching hope. We're preaching Jesus. We're not just offering people some type of a temporary hope. It will get better. You'll get a visa. You'll get married. We're giving people something eternal, the real reason for hope. For Jesus is the hope of the world. He is our eternal hope. He is our living hope. Jesus will be with you in prison and with you in the palace. Jesus is with you as a single and with you in your marriage. He's with you when you have money and with you with you don't. And only Jesus gives meaning and purpose to our life. Only Jesus gives us value. Only Jesus can forgive your sin. Only Jesus can give you eternal life. Only Jesus can give you peace that passes understanding. Only Jesus can give you something that can't be taken away from you. Only Jesus can mend your broken heart. Only Jesus can deliver you from sin. Only Jesus can break the chain of the devil. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus. For the Bible says in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And that's why we must never stop preaching Jesus. But in the church today, we need to ask ourselves, are we preaching Jesus or are we preaching something else? Are we focusing on Jesus or we're just promoting the benefits that Jesus gives us? Are we offering the world the true hope, the true light, the true love, the truth of God? Or are we just offering them miracles without commitment and blessings without repentance? For whenever the focus of our preaching is more on the breakthroughs in this life and less on spiritual revival, we need revival. Anytime we're more excited about physical blessings in the natural realm than we are about visitations of God's presence in the spiritual realm, we need revival. When we're more excited about going viral than we are about experiencing revival, we need revival. When we're more excited about defeating our enemies than we are about defeating the sin inside of us. We need revival. And revival always centers around Jesus. Make no mistake, a packed auditorium with excited, happy people doesn't necessarily mean revival. You can fill an auditorium around the world with people waving their hankies and clapping and dancing and shouting. It doesn't mean revival because pop stars and rap stars can fill an auditorium with people shaking and dancing. Football clubs can fill auditoriums and stadiums with fans who will shout and clap their hands. But revival always centers around Jesus. Revival 
is not centered around a man of God. Revival is not centered around an event, a place, or a program. Revival is not centered around one particular spiritual gift or impartation. It's not about any of those things. Revival is about Jesus. He's the reason for revival. He's the focus of revival because Jesus is the reason I can pray in prison. Jesus is the reason I can sing a song of praise to my God in the dungeon. Jesus is my living hope. He's what gives my life meaning. He lives forever. One day the prison will be gone, but my Jesus sits on the throne. One day the midnight hour will pass, but my Jesus is eternal, and those who trust in him will live forever. Somebody shout Jesus. Today, the church needs to come back to preaching Jesus and Jesus only. The reason for our faith, the reason for revival is because Jesus changes us internally and externally. And we must never stop preaching Jesus. That's what Paul and Silas did in the prison. They didn't focus on the shackle. They focused on the Savior. They didn't look at the dungeon. They looked at their deliverance. They kept talking about Jesus because he changes hearts and lives. And he changed not only them but everyone around them. And that brings us to the third truth about the promise of revival. Revolutionary results occur when we experience revival. Listen to how our story ends in Acts 16, 26 to 28. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And think about what is happening because Paul and Silas expressed their faith in God through prayer and praise. It brought the presence of God down. And when the presence of God came down, the walls began to tremble and the foundations began to shake and suddenly light pierced the darkness and suddenly the oppressed were liberated because God uses our song of praise rising at midnight in the dungeon to shatter shackles and demolish dungeons. But it wasn't just Paul and Silas who were liberated and revived. This earth-shaking visitation affected everyone in the prison. Every prisoner also was impacted by their hymn of hope at midnight. Every prisoner witnessed the revolutionary results of revival. Every prisoner felt the power and the presence of God. You see, the most remarkable miracle in this story was not that there was an earthquake and the prison doors flew open. The most remarkable miracle was not the loosening of the shackles and the deliverance of Paul and Silas. The most remarkable miracle in this story is that all of the prisoners had a chance to go free, but none of them did. Their chains were broken. The prison doors were opened. Yet Paul cried out, we are all here. And here's what that means. The prisoners were so impacted by the presence of God, they did not want to leave. They would rather be in the presence of Jesus in prison than out of prison without the presence of Jesus. They were gripped by such a revival that placed all their hope on the eternal things as the earthly faded from view. 
And the same thing will happen in our generation. Our godly response to trials and difficulties will release the presence of God in us. And the presence of God will convict men of their sin. It will call them back to Jesus. It will help them focus on eternity rather than the things of this life. When you and I act and conduct yourselves in ways that invoke the presence of God, we will experience revival that spreads to others. When we live in the reality that now is the right time for revival, and Jesus is the real reason for revival, we will experience revolutionary results. That's why the Apostle Peter says, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. And today, we're putting all our hope in Jesus. We're not hoping in the economy. We're not hoping in our talent. We're not hoping in our ability. We're not hoping in any good thing. We're hoping alone in Jesus because he transforms hearts. He changes people's lives. He moves in nations and transforms societies. And what we need is Jesus. His presence changes us internally and eternally. We don't trust in our own ability we don't trust in the circumstances of this generation. We put our hope in Jesus. That's the lesson I learned back in 1981 in the middle of nowhere. I traveled to southern Nigeria to preach. I was invited to a village in Delta State called Otujeremi by my friend Pastor Lambert. And I agreed to go. We went and we set up our stage and Ohuja speakers, generator, we started preaching the gospel. One night, a woman came forward to give her life to Christ. And after we prayed for her, she said, I'm an idol worshiper. I have idols at home. I want you to come and burn them. Well, the woman had come from a village about two kilometers away. So the next morning, we got up on our motorbikes, drove down this dirt road through the forest to this little clearing in the forest, maybe about 30, 40 huts. When we got down off the motorbike, something unusual happened. The people had rarely seen a white man, and so when I got down off the motorbike, they all came out of their houses to stare at me. In fact, one little three-year-old boy took one look at me and started screaming in terror. But we realized my unique appearance was an opportunity to gather a crowd and preach the gospel. So we got everybody into this woman's house. Some were sitting on the floor. People were standing outside by the window, and I started preaching. They didn't speak English, and I didn't speak Orobo at the time. So I was using an interpreter, and I started preaching. He was interpreting, and I, I could feel the power of God moving. I knew that God was touching lives. I was about to wrap up my sermon and give the altar call when all of a sudden an old man in the back jumped up and started interrupting me. I think he'd never been to church. He didn't know you don't interrupt the preacher when he's preaching. He started talking and pointing at me. And when I tried to get the interpreter to tell me what was he saying, what's he saying, what's he saying, the man would turn to tell me, and then the old man would start talking again. The more he talked, the louder he got. The louder he got, the more he was waving his hands. Before I knew it, other people in that room started talking back, and they were angry, some of them, and waving their fists and talking. And all of a sudden, I didn't know what was happening. I kept trying to get the interpreter to tell me, but every time he turned to tell me, people would start shouting again. And I started looking for the nearest exit, but the only exit was right behind this big old fat man. Hey! I was speaking in tongues. Hey, Rade! My mom will never know what happened to me. I went to Nigeria. Never came back. But just when I was thinking how I could make a break for it and run out the door, my interpreter said, don't worry. And he told me what the man said. It amazed me, and I think it will amaze you too. 
For here's what the man said. All my life, I've been an idol worshiper. All my life, I've followed the traditions of our people. All my life, I've worshipped our ancestors. And in all my life, I have never had one single answer to prayer. If the Jesus, this white man is talking about, will answer my prayer, I want to follow him too. And other people started shouting and interrupting, no, no, we must worship the gods of our fathers. But he said, no, I want Jesus. And then he did something I'll never forget. He came to the front and took me by the hand and started leading me out of that house to his house. I thought the interpreter would come with us. But when I turned around, he wasn't there. The man didn't speak English. I didn't speak a robo. But there we were in the middle of nowhere on a dirt path going to his mud hut. We got there. He went under the bed and pulled out a box filled with chalk and charms and fetishes and gave it to me. He went up on a shelf and pulled down a box filled with idols and charms and juju and gave it to me. And we took them back and added them to the woman's idol from the night before. And we burned them and we sang, there is power in the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. A church was born in that village that day. And when you think about it, that's a story of the revolutionary results of revival. You see, I was not a likely candidate to bring revival. I was a foreigner who made children scream. I couldn't speak the language, but God is sovereign and he will use anybody who volunteers uh, to be his voice. It didn't seem like a likely place for revival. It was some small remote village in the middle of nowhere in Delta State, Nigeria. But God is sovereign. The people were idol worshipers, but God had prepared that man's heart. God is sovereign. He has a plan. He has a vision. He has a target. He's looking for people who will follow him. And as I left that village that day, I stood on a dirt road outside Otujeremi, and the Holy Spirit started to speak to me. And all of a sudden, light came into my heart. And I thought, you know, that wasn't my great preaching. That was the power of God. That wasn't some great opportunity. That was God sovereignly coming to bring revival. And then I thought, but wait a minute. How many other men are there just like this man? who are waiting to hear, how many other men are there just like him who, if they could, they would get saved? And how many other villages are there just like this one without a church that needs to hear the gospel? How many are there? And suddenly, God gripped my heart with a vision of revival, reaching everyone in every village everywhere. And on that dirt road in the middle of nowhere, I said, Lord, I will go. If you call me, I will go. If you send me, I'll respond. Here am I. Send me. So I added my voice to the chorus. I started singing the song of praise from the dungeon. I started singing the hymn of hope at midnight. I didn't have the best voice. But I did my best. I didn't always sing in tune, but I stayed the course. I didn't start the singing, but I kept going. 
and my voice got louder, and other people joined in. People all across Nigeria joined the voice to the chorus of the hymn of hope. And then we went to Benin and Togo, and people joined in from there. And we went to Liberia and came to Ghana. Others, thousands and tens of thousands joined their voice. And we went to Southern Africa, and we went around the world, and the voices get louder, and the chorus swells, and the music rises. It's a hymn of hope. It's a song of praise, and it's getting stronger and stronger. There is freedom in Christ. There is liberty in Christ. It's a hymn of hope at midnight, and walls tremble at the sound, and prison doors open at the sound and shackles are shattered at the sound freedom has come light has come love has come Jesus has come and today I'm here to invite you to join along and sing with me I'm here to ask you to raise your voice in this chorus of the hymn of hope for no matter who you are no matter where you come from when you know Jesus you can sing the hymn of hope so let us join our voice For as Paul says in Romans 10, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? So today I challenge you to raise your hand and say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Add your voice to mine. Add your voice to the voice of Armand and tell the people, our Father keeps his promise. Add your voice to the voice of Maggie Berry and Kitsi and tell people that God can turn tragedy to triumph. Add your voice to the voice of Jack Brewer and tell people this world is fading away, but Jesus gives eternal life. Add your voice to the men and women of Otujeremi and tell them Jesus is here. Jesus has come. Jesus is the reason for revival. Let the music swell. Let our prayers be heard. Let our voices rise. Let our love be seen. Let our focus be eternal. Let our faith be unwavering. For now is the right time for revival. And Jesus is the right reason for revival. And we will experience revolutionary results when we experience revival. And we go preach Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, touch us today. Open our eyes today, Lord, that we'll look beyond the things of this earth, the things that don't matter. Help us to reorder our priorities and take the steps to follow you in revival, to come before you, a presence that changes us and changes others. Move in us today. Open our eyes to give us a vision Motivate us with Pentecostal power. Let your fire burn in us. Send the New Testament church everywhere. Let us go preach Jesus. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House New Testament Church in East Legon. If you are ever in Accra, we will like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience.